Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation. This is a practice that is going to help you to eliminate anger, hatred, ill will, and all of the kind of lesser versions of this, which oftentimes show up as kind of like irritation or annoyance. Essentially, this aspect of the unenlightened mind that kind of pushes people away creates this wall or this barrier around us and inhibits us from having open relationships where we feel comfortable and others feel comfortable with us and we don't feel this insatiable urge to kind of look out for enemies with a neurotic mind or fear. Loving kindness meditation is the practice that Gautama Buddha taught and shared in order to eliminate hatred, anger, ill will, and all the other lesser versions that are in the mind. And it's only when you learn and practice this style of meditation that you'll be able to actively eliminate this hatred, anger, and ill will while cultivating the opposite to transform this poison of hatred, anger, or ill will into loving kindness. So we're gonna talk about that today and we're gonna actually do a loving kindness meditation session so that you can experience what loving kindness meditation is like. So let's go ahead and move into what it is that I was planning to discuss with you guys and then we can discuss anything else that you guys would like to discuss along these lines before we move into loving kindness meditation. On Sunday, we discussed the three poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance, what I also describe as the unknowing of true reality. And we discussed how these three poisons are present in the unenlightened mind, and they keep the mind unenlightened. And we operate out of this greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving, anger, and ignorance, causing untold amounts of unwholesome results because the mind is unaware of how to make wise decisions in the world that would lead to wholesome results. So it's only through eradicating these three poisons that the mind will then be able to function in a way that helps you to improve the quality of the mind and the quality of your life. So it's these three poisons that are what we're working towards to eliminate in the mind as part of this practice. The antidotes that Gautama Buddha shared with us are essentially the opposites of this poison. So we eliminate this poison and then we cultivate its opposite. 
With greed and craving, the mind is looking for external satisfaction. It's longing with a strong eagerness. It's holding on to things and it's craving permanence. And because everything in the world is impermanent, the mind causes itself to be discontent by holding on craving permanence in relationships to possessions, to jobs or incomes and all of these things that we have in our life, the mind essentially causes itself to be discontent, experiencing sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, loneliness, boredom, shyness, jealousy, resentment. All of the discontent feelings are coming from this same poison. So there is no one antidote for sadness or one antidote for guilt or one antidote for boredom. It's actually all coming from the exact same problem. So it's this greed or craving in the mind, this outward searching, this longing, this strong eagerness. We often refer to this as craving, desire, attachment. And there's this wanting, this expectations, this grasping, this holding. So the antidotes that Gautama Buddha gives us here is breathing mindfulness meditation. This is the meditation that we do as a foundation of our practice. We even do it leading into loving kindness meditation. But what breathing mindfulness meditation is doing is it's training the mind to let go. Because the core problem here is the mind get something in the mind that it really, really wants, that it craves, that it desires, having this strong eagerness and longing for, and now it starts pursuing that external pleasure, thinking that that's what it's going to be that brings the mind this peacefulness or contentedness. But in reality, what the mind actually acquires is it requires this temporary happiness that isn't sustainable and the mind just holds on. So it's breathing mindfulness meditation that we breathe through the nose and out through the nose, and we train the mind that as the mind goes to the past or the future, or there's thoughts, ideas, and perceptions, that you train the mind to let go and bring it to the breath, because the breath is the present moment. And by doing this over repeated sessions, multiple weeks and months and years, the mind becomes more calm, more peaceful, more serene, because now it's trained to be in the present moment rather than have fear or guilt or shame or latch on to these painful or pleasant thoughts from the past or potentially anticipate with anxiety any kind of painful or pleasurable things in the future. The mind comes into the present moment with awareness of mind through this breathing mindfulness meditation. So we're training the mind to let go and focus on the breath. And then what you'll notice is in daily life, through practicing the entire eightfold path, including breathing mindfulness meditation, you'll be able to then let go of things that might happen. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, you can let it go. Or if you get this insatiable urge that you just got to have a new car and you just know that this new car is going to satisfy the mind, you can recognize that as craving and you can let it go. Or if your mind is holding on to trauma or pain from the past, you can train the mind to let go of that. 
or if you've been involved in a relationship and it's now ended and you're longing for that relationship or some other relationship to replace it, you can identify that as craving, desire, attachment, let that go. If you have expectations of the people around you and you just want everybody to do things your way, you can identify this as this poison of greed, craving that we also refer to as desire or attachment where the mind is longing or wanting with this strong eagerness. And you can identify that, how you forcing your way on other people is not going to create wholesome relationships for you. It's not going to create a situation where people feel comfortable being around you if you're trying to impose your way of being on other people. So by training the mind to let this go, then the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And it's only through breathing mindfulness meditation that you'll be actively involved in eliminating this greed or craving, this desire, this attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness in cultivating awareness of mind or mindfulness. This is going to be very, very helpful for you to see that you can control the mind in any given situation as you train the mind more and more with this style of meditation. The other thing that we do in order to knock down and eliminate this poison is practice generosity. Generosity or sharing is essentially sharing our time, our effort, our energy, our resources to help other people for the benefit of other people. And we talked about how you need to find the middle. You need to find where the middle is because if you hold on to everything that you did and you only pursue things selfishly and you only pursue things that were going to improve your life and you never really considered helping others, that's kind of holding things too tight. And that's why the mind has this tendency to hold on. But if you gave everything that you had, time, effort, energy, and resources, and you never really thought about how to care for your own needs or the needs of your family, then the mind is also not going to have what it needs. So by practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity, along with all the other teachings that the Buddha shares, we know to bring the mind into the middle where you can share your time, effort, energy, and resources, but you ensure that you're also taking care of your own needs. By learning to share, you will essentially let go. The mind will have a tendency in the unenlightened state to be selfish and only pursue things that are gonna create gains in your life. But by you learning and doing activities that are performing generosity and helpful for people, not just your own selfish desires, then you're training the mind to let go and realize that you can still exist in this world through finding this middle where you are able to sustain your own needs, but also help other people as well. And this addresses that poison of greed or craving that we also refer to as desire or attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind wants to hold on to things. So we're practicing and cultivating just the opposite. The second poison of hatred or anger also referred to as ill will, but then shows up in lesser versions like irritation and annoyance and dislike is where the mind wants to push people away. 
It only wants to involve people in your life that you agree with or that agree with you. You're not interested in the unenlightened state to have people around that are doing things that you disagree with because it bothers you. And you don't realize that it's actually not them bothering you. It's your own mind not being comfortable to allow things to exist around you that maybe you disagree with. You know, we're not talking about, you know, being comfortable with having murderers or people who are abusing children sexually around you. We're not talking about that, but we're just talking about sometimes, you know, a simple disagreement where somebody disagrees with us in the unenlightened state. Often the mind will push that person away, trying to create this bubble of perfection where you only allow people into this bubble that agree with you. And as soon as somebody does something that you disagree with, you kind of shun them and you push them away. This is the poison of hatred, anger, or ill will that comes up. And then we oftentimes are kind of neurotically looking out with fear for when is the next person going to come and do something that I disagree with. And then immediately you have the solution, which is push them away. But essentially what you're doing is you're limiting your ability to exist around all people with a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy because you're allowing these other things to bother the mind. Because the mind craves this permanence, it wants things to be your way. When they're not your way, that's when the anger, hatred, and ill will come up and push those people away because you want things your way because it's your world, right? Everybody needs to do things your way in your world. But what the mind needs to evolve to is to realize that you exist amongst, you know, billions of other people and it's impossible for you to train others to do things your way. But what you can do is you can train your mind to be comfortable and be peaceful in all situations. So what you do in loving kindness meditation as the antidote to this poison is you work to eliminate hatred, anger, and ill will for anybody and everybody while you're cultivating loving kindness in the mind. Loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So by eliminating this hatred, anger, and ill will and cultivating this loving kindness in the mind, Now, when you're around people and others and people who disagree, you can reside with the mind having this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, and you won't feel that you need to push them away, but you will just recognize that they have a difference of an opinion, they have a different way of doing things. You can love the person unconditionally, without conditions. They don't need to meet your expectations of doing things in a certain way that only you agree with. Because if you only allow people around you that do things your way, that's not true love. That's actually selfishness where you may be wanting people to do things your way. And it's only when they do it your way that you will be involved in a relationship or somehow be friendly and kind to them. But what unconditional love is about, which we'll get to later in this program in chapter 14, what unconditional love is about is not placing expectations and requirements on others 
and expecting them to meet our obligations. And only then will we be friendly and loving and kind to them. Because that's selfishness. That's actually not true love. What true love is, is being able to observe that others have different ways of doing things, but loving them regardless. Having this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. It's that judgment where we're judging other people's behaviors and the way they do things and saying, I can't be around this person because I don't agree with the way that they do things. We can actually choose to not be around others, but still have loving kindness, right? If there was a person who was doing some very unwholesome things in the world, I wouldn't choose to be around them. I wouldn't choose for my son, for example, to be around them, but I would still have this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. I can disagree with someone's intentions, speech, and actions. I can disagree with the decisions that they're making in life while still maintaining loving kindness or active goodwill without judgment. I can disagree with the decisions that they're making while still being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to that person, right? Because the mind can be trained to understand that not everyone's going to do things our way, right? But the mind, the unenlightened mind, wants everybody to do it our way because the mind craves permanence. And the mind doesn't recognize the impermanent nature of the world, that it's impossible for this world to do things our way. So we have to train our mind to reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, no matter what the situation is. And that comes with practice. And it's loving kindness meditation that will help you to get there. And then once we cultivate this in the mind, we then practice it in daily life through our intentions, our speech, and our actions. If you remember from the Eightfold Path, right intention is all about harmlessness, non-ill will, right? Not having ill will. Well, the way that you get to right intention is through practicing loving-kindness meditation and then practicing loving-kindness in daily life. That's how you practice harmlessness or non-ill will. And then if you remember from right speech, we talked about the five factors of well-spoken speech. To speak at the right time, what we say is true, we speak gently, beneficially, with a mind of loving kindness, without blame to others. Well, once again, here in the Eightfold Path, we see showing up this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment in our speech, right? And then when you move into the actions, right? When you look at the right actions that the Buddha talked about that are going to ensure you're not causing harm and that you're only producing good results, one of the things he talks about is about not killing or refraining from taking life, right? Living compassionately, trembling for the welfare of all living beings. Well, how could we get there if we don't have active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, which is loving kindness. So this loving kindness is all throughout Gautama Buddha's teachings, whether it's here talking about the three poisons and how to remedy those, whether it's 
the various steps in the Eightfold Path, whether it's any of these things that we're practicing, loving kindness is very central to what we need to do in order to cultivate this enlightened mind. Okay. And by the way, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to do loving kindness meditation. This is just a short little review for anyone who wasn't with us on Sunday, or if you were with us on Sunday to really help this kind of soak in. The third poison that we talked about on Sunday is delusion or ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. This is how the mind doesn't understand this life-affirming teachings and wisdom that you would understand this natural law of gamma and how to eliminate these various aspects of the mind and cultivate the wholesome qualities in the mind. The mind is unaware prior to learning these teachings that it's causing itself discontentedness. We typically go around in the unenlightened mind thinking that other people are causing us to be angry, thinking that other people are the reason why I'm talking loud or that person made me angry, so I'm justified in raising my voice, interrupting them and talking harshly about them. And we don't realize that it's actually us causing our own discontentedness And by us speaking in a way that is unwise, it's actually causing us problems in our life. Not only in this one situation, but in all the different areas that someone might be talking aggressively or harshly or unbeneficially or lying or any of the different ways that we speak in the unenlightened state, those are all causing problems for you. And What these teachings bring to your realization is these good, wholesome teachings of the Buddha where right in the Four Noble Truths, it explains to us that it's us who is causing our own discontentedness. And you can go out and independently verify this. The more you're in touch with these teachings, you can independently verify all of the teachings, not just the Four Noble Truths, but all the rest of these teachings as well. The three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the Brahma Viharas, the natural law of Gamma, the seven factors of enlightenment, all the meditation training that you will go through, all the 10 fetters. If you look at all of these things, you will be able to observe how you're either causing problems by retaining these unwholesome qualities in the mind, and you can see by cultivating the opposites or practicing these teachings in the way that the Buddha shares, you will actually be making good, wholesome decisions in your life through this wisdom. Because wisdom is the antidote to this particular poison. It's the opposite. Because if the mind is unknowing of true reality, it doesn't realize that by doing certain unwholesome things in the world by being hostile, by being angry, by being uncalm, by not being aware of your mind, by speaking aggressively to people, by causing harm with our bodily actions, with the various decisions that we make in life, causing harm to others, that harm is going to come to us. By being unaware of that or ignorant of that or unknowing of true reality, then the mind is just going to keep struggling through life and finding it very difficult to have helpful personal and professional relationships. It's going to find it difficult and struggle 
through this life of even to sustain one's life, not only with friends and coworkers, but even just to sustain a certain livelihood because you're going to have a hard time building up any kind of sustainable way to sustain your life through an income. But with wisdom and realizing how these natural laws of existence work in the world, you can apply this wisdom in your daily life through a well-developed life practice and you will see the condition of the mind improve and you will see the condition of your life improve. Which of course, meditation is kind of a foundational practice that we need in order to actively train the mind to either eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities but you would never get to any of this or understand any of this without the wisdom of these teachings. So it's learning and practicing these teachings to see the truth for yourself through no belief whatsoever, through acquiring this wisdom, through independently verifying the truth of these teachings. Then with this wisdom, the mind functions in the world differently. You start observing how you're craving is causing you to long and seek things and have this strong eagerness and you're seeing that this craving is when you don't get what you want you're seeing this anger and this hatred arise and you start talking aggressively to people now the teachings of the buddha are starting to bring that to your attention and now that you're aware of it through this wisdom he gives you the solutions as well helping you to realize what you should be practicing which is this eightfold path. By practicing this eightfold path, you then know with wisdom that if you talk in this way or you have certain actions in this way and you follow this general guidance, then you can create a much better life for yourself through this wisdom. But without learning these teachings, you would never have the wisdom of why the mind is discontent, why the mind has this anger, why the mind experiences all of these struggles and challenges in life. You wouldn't understand it. So the Buddhist teachings are bringing understanding to you through his guidance that you then independently verify, which ultimately creates wisdom. And then as you build more and more and more and more of this wisdom, you will start making decisions differently in the world based on your own aspirations in the world. One of the beauties about Gautama Buddha's teachings is he never tells you what to do in any given situation. All he's doing is he's awakening your mind to how the mind functions. He's awakening your mind to these natural laws of existence in the world. Once you understand these natural laws through this wisdom, you will figure out the right phrases and the right words and the right decisions in your life in your personal life, in your family life, in your work life, in your neighborhood, in your communities, you will figure out the right answers. But as long as the mind is plagued by this greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving anger and ignorance, as long as the mind has this pollution, it's going to make decisions based on these three poisons. And the decisions are most likely going to result in unwholesome results because this pollution in the mind is driving the mind to make decisions based on things that are going to cause unwholesome results. 
But through learning and practicing this general guidance, awakening the mind, eliminating certain unwholesome qualities, and arising certain wholesome qualities in the mind, you will then figure out what's the best way to handle any given situation. Keep in mind that as we describe enlightenment, we talk about it as the elimination of greed, hatred, and delusion, the self and the ego, or the elimination of craving, anger, and ignorance, the self and the ego. That self and ego is part of this delusion or ignorance that we're unaware of how this permanent self in the unenlightened mind and this ego, this arrogance, this comparing and measuring people, looking down on others or looking up to others is actually very destructive to the mind. And because we are ignorant of that, we are unknowing of that in the unenlightened state, then our decisions are motivated through these three poisons. And it's not until we actively work to eliminate these and cultivate the opposites that the mind can then make better and better choices in the world and realize more and more benefits to the enlightened mind where it becomes peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because it's eliminated all of this unwholesome poisons and it's cultivated the opposite. So a mind that is enlightened is going to reside in the present moment. It's going to have awareness of mind. It's going to be practicing generosity and sharing with others. It's not going to hold on so tightly. It's going to be comfortable with change, right? That's through eliminating greed or craving and cultivating the opposite in the mind. An enlightened mind isn't going to have hatred, anger, and ill will experiencing annoyance or irritation. It's actually going to have active goodwill towards all beings. It's going to have concern for others' misfortune. It's going to have these wholesome qualities where it can be comfortable around people who either agree or disagree with you. And you're going to be able to be friendly and kind and polite, loving, respectful to all beings, no matter what. No matter what's transpiring, you will still be able to find a way to do that without any hostility whatsoever residing in the mind. And an enlightened mind, having eliminated this delusion or ignorance, is going to have the wisdom of this Eightfold Path and all the other teachings that the Buddha shares to be able to conduct life in almost a seamless way. Nothing is difficult to an enlightened person. Sure, there's challenges that arise. There's things that an enlightened person would like to influence or improve, but they understand that all they need to do is figure out the right solution. And they're just going to actively work through various options based on wisdom and try to move certain things in a direction that's going to be helpful for the outcome that they would like to experience. So a enlightened person isn't going to get angry or frustrated or irritated or sad. They're not going to feel guilty or shameful. They're not going to have any boredom or loneliness or shyness, resentment or jealousy. They're just going to reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Things are still going to present themselves as challenges in their life, but they have the wisdom they need to apply good decision-making 
to improve whatever is in front of them. Whatever the decision is, whatever the situation is, they will apply good decision-making through wisdom to improve this situation. Not becoming angry and frustrated, but just very calm, even-tempered, especially in difficult situations. There's nothing that's going to feel difficult for an enlightened person. They're just going to be able to apply good, wholesome decision-making to improve whatever it is that they're facing. So here you can see this is the reason why I only teach two styles of meditation as the primary forms of meditation that you need in order to attain enlightenment, which is breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. There's two others that I teach. One is for elimination of sexual cravings. If someone's having a lot of trouble with sexual cravings, this is one that the Buddha also taught in order to eliminate the cravings of the mind that has this outward searching for sexual contact. And there's only certain people who would need that. Not everybody does, but that's kind of a third one. It's kind of like a specialized meditation that some people need. And then there's a fourth meditation that I teach. It's a meditation for non-self, to help you develop non-self. But you need to learn a whole lot of other things and practice a whole lot of other things before we ever get to that. You wouldn't be able to actually just practice that at the beginning and actually experience the realization of non-self. You need to actually build up to that. And when it's the right time, you may ask me if it's the right time or I may help you see that, okay, now it's the right time for you to start practicing that. But by and large, the vast majority of the world are only ever going to need these two meditations of breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation because every unenlightened mind is affected by these same three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion, or craving anger and ignorance. And all of the problems that are being faced in one's life, all the struggles that an unenlightened mind is experiencing is related to these three poisons. So that's why you don't need to run out and learn 20 or 50 or 100 different meditations. You can just focus on these two only. Deepen your meditation practice really deep into these two. Get really, really proficient with these two so that you can get lots and lots of benefit that limits you needing to have to learn 20 or 30 or 50 different meditations and you can really focus in on just these two breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness there's lots of other things that you need to learn but in terms of meditation these are the two primary styles of meditation and we're going to do both of those today i'm going to teach you loving kindness meditation but we're going to lead into it with breathing mindfulness meditation. I'll explain why we're doing that when we get to that point. So let me pause here, see if there's any questions on this little recap of the three poisons and the antidotes and as they relate to loving kindness meditation. I have a question, David, on this first poison of greed, craving, desire, attachment. Can desire ever be useful? Is there such a thing as a good attachment? There's no such thing as a good attachment. You may hear people say that there is, but this is a misunderstanding of what an attachment is. What an attachment is is a mental longing with a strong eagerness, 
craving something, wanting something, desiring something, expecting something. So, of course, we know like if there's a craving for alcohol or cocaine or some of these problematic things, that's going to be problematic. Everybody can see that. But if your mind is actually craving meditation, for example, it's going to lead to discontentedness. So there's no such thing as a good craving. We all look at meditation as being a helpful thing. Meditation is helpful. But if the mind has this mental longing with a strong eagerness for meditation, it's going to lead to discontentedness. I'll give you an example in my life. Last year, I had a motorbike accident and I fell down and I cracked a rib. I couldn't meditate for about a week and a half, two weeks. I tried here and there, but even just a short little breath really bothered the ribs and it hurt my body. Well, if I had an attachment, if I had a craving desire attachment for meditation, if I had this longing with a strong eagerness for meditation, that week and a half, two weeks where I couldn't meditate, the mind would have been discontent. It would have been frustrated. It would have been irritated that I couldn't meditate because I have this longing and strong eagerness for it. But I don't have a longing and strong eagerness for meditation. I know that it's something I need to do. I do it daily, once, twice, three times a day, but I don't have this longing and strong eagerness for it. If I did, then it would cause me discontentedness. But in that situation, I recognized that I had a cracked rib, that it was temporary, it was impermanent, right? My healthy body was impermanent at some point because I'm human, I'm going to experience sickness, aging, and death. This physical body is not permanent. So I recognized when I had a crack rib, okay, I'm just going to be sick for a while and limp around and have problems. But then also that cracked rib, I recognized as impermanent as well, that at some point I would be able to get back to meditation. And when I felt like I could meditate, I started off with my normal chanting, the way that I actually normally start meditation. And I realized I couldn't even chant after a week and a half or two because I couldn't get the air in my lungs. It was hurting too much. So if I was attached to chanting and I had this mental longing and strong eagerness to chant, then once again, I would be frustrated that I couldn't do it. But instead, for a period of time, I just meditated. I didn't chant the way I normally do. But if the mind was craving permanence and it was attached, if it had this longing and strong eagerness that I've always got a chant and I've always got to meditate, even though these things are wholesome, then the mind's going to be discontent. So there is no such thing as a good or wholesome attachment because what an attachment is, is it's this greed or craving. It's this poison. It's the pollution of the mind that is causing all the discontentedness. So if you experience sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, any of these discontent feelings are all based on this one singular primary problem that Gautama Buddha discovered. And it's only through eliminating that, that the mind is then going to ultimately attain enlightenment along with all these other teachings. So there's nothing good about a 
craving, desire, attachment. Of course, if you're unenlightened, you've got lots of craving, desire, attachments in the mind. You haven't done anything wrong. You don't need to feel guilty about that. Everybody's born into the world with these same three poisons. But now that you are aware of them and you become more aware about how they're causing struggles in your life, now you can take active steps to eliminate them and see the improvements that you experience because of it. So no need to feel guilty or shameful that you've done anything wrong. The fact that you're here as a human is a wonderful thing. This is a great time to exist in the world because now as a human, you can learn and practice these teachings and get to the point where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy in this enlightened mental state. And life will become so much easier for you, more smooth, and you'll actually probably truly enjoy life. Oftentimes in the unenlightened state, life can feel pretty miserable. There's times when you're like, gosh, I just want to get out of here. Like, man, things are just so horrible sometimes, right? But when you eventually get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, you're like, wow, I could actually do this. This is like quite nice. Like I know how to deal with things now and my mind is never discontent. But the only way to get that is to recognize that all craving, all desire, all attachment, there's nothing wholesome that's going to be produced through any kind of craving, desire, attachment. There's no such thing as a good attachment. Got it. Thank you for clearing that up, David. Well, what about the second poison? Is there such a thing as healthy anger? Not at all. Anger is only going to create separation and division. It's only going to create hostility and aggression. And that's going to either result in you actively pushing people away or when people see that in you, they're going to choose to leave from you. So if you're an employee, you will lose your job over time through being aggressive, hostile, and angry. Or if you're a boss, your employees aren't going to want to be around someone who's hostile, aggressive, angry, with hatred and ill will. By eliminating this and practicing active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, what you'll find is people feel very comfortable to be around you. So if you're a coworker, you'll be very easily able to interact with your coworkers. Your bosses will truly enjoy having you as part of their team. If you are a boss, People would truly enjoy being on your team. If you work in a customer facing role, you will find that your customers will really enjoy and feel pleasant interacting with you. And you will find that people will enjoy doing business with you because people do business with a person. They don't do business with a business. They do business with people. And if they feel comfortable and they interact with you and you're polite and kind and friendly, respectful, they're going to be more likely to want to be involved with you. And of course, you're not learning and practicing any of these teachings in order to make more money, right? That's not the goal that people set out for in learning and practicing these teachings. But what you will find is that the more you learn and practice these teachings, things will happen for you much more easily and more seamlessly. You won't have to focus on making money 
because you're focused on being a good moral person. You're focused on having universal love for all beings. You're focused on being a good moral person. You're focused on helping others. And through doing this, you will observe that people will be very comfortable interacting with you. People will gravitate towards you. You will be very easily to make friends and maintain friendships, whether they're personal or professional. So anytime there's hatred or anger, ill will, annoyance, irritation, all of these things that arise in the mind, there's nothing wholesome that's going to be a result of that. But of course, you're just learning these teachings. So these things do exist in the mind. Again, no need to feel guilty, shameful, or anything like that, that you've done anything wrong necessarily, because all humans are born with these same three poisons. But now that you are aware that they exist, now you can take active steps to eliminate it from the mind and cultivate this loving kindness. And as you will see, gradually over time, as you cultivate this more and more, your relationships will just blossom. And this is where it becomes very enjoyable because there's nobody around you that's causing you discontentedness because you recognize that you're causing it yourself and you can train your own mind to eliminate that. So walking out into the world where nobody can ever cause your mind to be shaken up, no one can ever create any kind of anger or hostility in you because they weren't creating that before, you just had the misperception that they were. But once you realize that it's actually you harboring this anger, hatred, and ill will, and you've actively eliminated it, and you no longer have discontentedness, you can walk into the world and everything is wonderful. Even when there's unfortunate situations or circumstances that happen, you know how to handle that through the wisdom that you've acquired in these teachings. But there's no hatred or anger or ill will that's going to result in anything wholesome. It's either going to drive you to push people away from you or people on their own are going to choose to leave you because of that hatred, anger, and ill will. Yeah, got it. Thank you. We have a question from Biblob. He says, is it possible to eliminate the three poisons without meditation to acquire wisdom? I don't know of any other way to eliminate these than what I'm sharing with you here. There's various paths that have been taught over the years. Gautama Buddha, I feel, explains it very clear, very direct, very concise. He was the fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha where he discovered this on his own. He taught these natural laws about the mind and really clued people in with his teachings in a way that can be independently verified. It's not based on belief. You can go off and independently verify all of this. However, people like Jesus Christ and Prophet Muhammad and others that came into the world, they taught some amount of teachings that you can look at and you can be like, oh yeah, I see the connection here. But to me, I don't feel that they quite explained it in the way that Gautama Buddha did. And that can just be my ignorance of their teachings because I know Gautama Buddha's teachings very deeply. I haven't studied Prophet Muhammad's teachings very deeply, but I'm sure there's people in those communities. And I've actually talked to some that when I talk to them and I ask them, 
you know, somebody with the Holy Spirit, uh, do they ever get angry or mad? And say, nope, it's impossible for someone with the Holy Spirit to get angry. Well, I also know it's impossible for someone who's enlightened to get angry, right? And you can go right on down the line and you can look at someone who's very familiar with what the Holy Spirit is or if they've actually acquired the Holy Spirit, you can go right on down the line and look for generosity and love and care and compassion for equanimity, evenness of temper. You can look at how they speak, that they speak very politely, kindly, respectfully. There's no ego or arrogance. For someone who's truly acquired what it was that Jesus Christ was moving people towards, there's a path there. And there's plenty of people that are still progressing and moving forward there but i don't think people would actively tell you that they're training their mind to eliminate the three poisons and cultivate this healthy mental state that's peaceful calm serene and content with joy it's more of kind of like a practice based on belief that you might find out the results once you die so there's these other paths in the world jesus christ prophet muhammad there's even modern day approaches through things called quantum physics where people are assigning modern day language to some of these things that i'm explaining to you so when i talk to friends of mine that are into quantum physics they're meditating as well and they can and i can we can relate our teachings and what they call one thing i call something else and what they call this i call that so the mind in these natural laws are the mind in the natural laws. Gautama Buddha explained it in the way in which he explained it. But there's other people that have tried to explain it in their own way. I don't know those other ways and those other paths, but I know this way. And I know this way works 100% Biblam. These teachings that I share with you will lead to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. It's just a matter of learning it independently verifying it for yourself so you can see that it's working and then experience the results and of course seeking guidance as you need help so i don't know of any other way to eliminate these than what i'm sharing with you and i know that this way works that's why i'm sharing it with you because i know with 100 percent certainty that this in fact works for sure we have a question from kathy sometimes when i attempt to limit myself or remove certain habits that I have indulged in, I find that I have more bursts of reactive behavior and then result in guilt, which in some cases makes me spin further out of control. I feel like I'm trying to detox my life in so many ways, as well as trying to implement meditation and other positive habits for my mind and body. How then do I actively try to let go of more when I know sometimes I feel more out of control doing that? You've got to take things gradually and progress gradually, consistent, gradual progression. You've got to keep in mind that this unenlightened mind that you currently have, however old you are, Kathy, whether it's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, you've experienced that mind for this entire life. And that's all you've ever known. You've never known any other way. And if you go back into your previous lives, there's been eons of countless rebirths where your mind has experienced this unenlightened state. And what you're doing is you're trying to actively, you're now trying to actively acquire wisdom to change the condition of this unenlightened mind. 
and that happens gradually over time. So this unenlightened mind has a, has a real head start, right? And that's okay because we're not on any time schedule here. It's all about consistent dedication to gradually evolving and training this mind. So while you've got this unenlightened mind that's wanting to charge forward with craving anger and ignorance, you're kind of got this parallel process going on where you're learning the teachings, you're independently verifying them, you're implementing the teachings, getting a little bit of results, you're seeking guidance and getting help, you're developing this life practice, which includes meditation, and all of that is just going to slowly, consistently, kind of slowly catch up to this unenlightened mind. And eventually, this wisdom and these practices are going to envelop this unenlightened mind gradually, slowly over time. Right now, the unenlightened mind might be trying to hurry up and run ahead, but just stay consistent with learning and practicing the teachings. More and more, that unenlightened mind is going to slow down and you just keep that same gradual progression of learning this life practice and eventually it will catch up. It's almost like a drip feed. You're just slowly, consistently drip feeding. Whereas if you gushed the body with a whole bunch of water, it wouldn't feel comfortable and it would just expel all the water at one time anyway. But you just want to drip feed these teachings. That's why I teach on Sunday and Wednesday. That's why I have all these resources that you can use at your own disposal based on your own schedule. You can also contact me privately and schedule personal guidance as well. There's all these different methods for you to learn. You just figure out kind of what's that gradual training look like for you as you develop this life practice. It's going to take time. You know, Max has been learning with me for about a year and a half now, and he'll tell you it just takes gradual, consistent learning. Never give up. Don't try to tackle many things at one time, but just kind of focus gradually. If you're able to focus on the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, and the five precepts, that's a good place to really start. And remember, the eightfold path includes meditation. So if somebody was just going to kind of bite off one bite, that would be a good first bite that's going to keep you chewing for a while. Of course, this program is going to continue and we keep teaching it, you know, over and over and over again, where we're going to be covering a lot of other topics. But in terms of what you really want to focus on is really focus on those core trainings that I just mentioned, the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path and the five precepts, which includes meditation. Okay, so don't try to tackle too much at one time and be sure that you truly understand each thing that you're approaching and trying to learn before you move on to something else. There's people who are part of this group learning program who are listening to these talks and involved in these talks, but they're actually more actively learning like in chapter four or five, even though we're on chapter eight. And they're just kind of slowly going through the book, the audio book, the previous talks that I did on those chapters. They're meeting with me personally through Zoom maybe once a week to ensure that they understand. And they might spend two or three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, just on the chapter five, even though this program is continuing. So you've got to recognize this as an independent journey and kind of use me as like a guide and kind of involve me in your practice as you need help 
using all these resources, but also don't be shy about reaching out to me personally because the more I understand your practice and where you are in your learning, I'm able to more actively help you. And I think what you'll find is the students who have engaged personally, they will share with you they've made a lot of progress because they've got that personal guidance. And with me knowing more about their practice, I'm able to more actively help them through personal guidance. So just take your time. We have a question from Manal. Teacher David, are we encountered with situations, positive or negative, and a certain type of people in life, specifically to further the place we are on our path? Sure, all of these experiences that you have in life can be helpful. They can be helpful for you to expose where there's problems, where you see craving anger and ignorance, certain difficult situations and struggles that you encounter can help to point out when there's areas that you still need work on. And that's some of that personal guidance that people will oftentimes contact me and share what they're going through at a particular situation and asking how to apply the teachings in that situation. So these challenges and struggles that you face in life are an opportunity for you to kind of put the brakes on for a moment, kind of pull back and say, all right, how can I apply these teachings to this situation? Because what the unenlightened mind is going to want to do is it's just going to want to run and run and run and just push right on through life. And it's just chasing, right? That external searching, that craving, that greed, the mind is searching for this external pleasure. And it's just trying to get back to some miraculous environment where it feels content and peaceful and comfortable. So the unenlightened mind is going to want to just push through a lot of these struggles that you encounter in life. But when you do, you're not taking the time to truly understand what's happening and gain the wisdom that you need to ensure that that doesn't happen again. Or if it does happen, that you have the wisdom to resolve it. So one of the best things you can do is just slow down. Because I know having lived in America and knowing Western culture, that culture is so fast and so rapid. Moving here to Thailand, things move very, very slow. And that's because the people know if they move too fast, there's going to be a lot of haphazard decisions made and they're not going to have the best results. So when you find yourself in a situation that seems difficult or challenging or you're struggling through it, slow it down. The best decision that you can sometimes make is not to make any decisions at all. Because by making decisions, you're putting something into the world which is gonna have some kind of return. So if you're haphazardly putting harm or unwholesome decisions into the world, that's gonna be returned to you. So if you're encountering some major challenge or struggle, put the brakes on, get some personal help, and I will help you see how to apply these teachings I never give you the answer. I never tell you what to do because only you know all the different variables involved in any given situation. But I will point you to some teachings that will help you to figure out what it is for you to do because there's always 10 million right answers in any given situation. But seeking guidance from your Buddhist teacher is very common in a Buddhist society. Here in Thailand, there is temples in every single village, every single area. I mean, I can throw a a rock and probably hit 20 temples right here close to my house. And in this state or this province, 
there's probably about 300 temples here. And all of those have multiple monks in there, which are the teachers for the Thai people. So when the Thai people are finding some kind of struggle, they will, of course, go to their family members and their, their elders and their family. They will go to the elders in their village. They will go to the monks. They will take advice from different people. And then they will ultimately come to some decision that they make on their own based on the various advice that they have. Well, in our culture, particularly in a place like America that's only been around for 250, 300 years or so, we don't really have that deep, steeped in culture of elders in our community and steeped wisdom that has come down through countless centuries. Here in Thailand, they've been on this land for anywhere between 800 to 1200 years. And before that, as a people, they were in another region of the world, which today we call Northern Vietnam, Southern China. So they've been together as a people for countless centuries. And that wisdom and knowledge has been handed down. And these elders in the community really help people as they ask for help. They don't push the help onto them. But there's people around that you can go to and ask for guidance and ask help. And here in Thailand, people realize that that's important. But in the West, we tend to want to do everything ourselves. We really promote independence, which... Yeah, it's great to be independent and be an independent thinker, but it's also wise to eliminate the arrogance and ego and realize you need to go consult and get people's opinions sometimes and seek people's opinions who aren't trying to force their way on you. And through you going through these various struggles and challenges, seeking opinions and advice from different elders, your parents, your grandparents, your Buddhist teacher, other people in your life, you will gain more wisdom because it's this wisdom that's going to liberate the mind. So you need to be in a position where you let go of any kind of arrogance or ego thinking that you know it all, you're going to figure it all out and say, you know what, that's kind of silly of me. I've got these people around. Why don't I ask them questions and see what they say? Ultimately, you're independent. You're going to make your own decision for your life. But why not use these other resources that are around that could help you to gain wisdom? And you can decide for yourself what would make sense. And if you're asking questions to people who aren't forcing their opinions on you because they don't have craving, they're just like, okay, here's some things you might want to think about, then those people typically aren't trying to persuade you one way or the other. They're just interested in giving you guidance as you ask for it. And they're not attached to any particular outcome. Those are people that will really help you in life. When I was in America, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and with my grandparents' friends. And I would often ask them questions. Like my one set of grandparents who were married for many, many, many years, I asked them, you know, what's the secret to being married and being content and peaceful in a relationship? And they shared their advice and I listened, right? So you can do this in your life. And I think in Western culture, we don't do that. We don't look to other people for advice, but it would be very wise if we did. We have a question from Christy. I have ADHD and bipolar. Whenever I try to meditate, I fall asleep. Do you have any advice on how to help me stay awake? Try, but I can't seem to slow my mind down. 
Yes. If you look in the book in chapter 11, I'd have a section in there that talks about sleepiness during meditation. And I give advice of what to do. And rather than share all of that now, I'd rather just point you to that chapter in chapter 11 and you'll see it in there. It's in a subsection. And then the thing that I'll add for you is I was also diagnosed with those same things, bipolar disorder, depression, panic disorder, ADHD, all of that stuff. People were even talking about schizophrenia at one time, muscular sclerosis, all of these different things. And what I learned is that those things aren't permanent. That's not who I am. And those things didn't actually truly exist. These are things that people are misunderstanding. They're seeing a mind that gets really excited in mania or a mind that goes really sad in depression. And they think that that's a mental illness and that the brain is defective. But what you're going to realize if you learn and practice these teachings is you can stabilize the mind and you can bring it to the middle and no longer experience these highs and lows. Just like with ADHD, a lack of concentration, what you're going to realize is by learning and practicing these teachings, eliminating craving, anger, and ignorance, the mind can be trained to have concentration. So your brain isn't effective. I don't know if anyone ever told you that, but that's what I was told when I was first diagnosed with these mental illnesses. And what I realized through these teachings and training the mind in this way is while the suffering and anguish was real that I was experiencing, the cause of what people were telling me was the problem and the solution, which was medication for 24 years, I realized that that wasn't true. And these teachings will actually improve the condition of the mind if you actively train it. When you read chapter 22 in the book and listen to the corresponding talk that I did on mental illness, you'll come to realize that your brain is actually quite healthy. It's just that your mind is untrained right now. And the more that you train it, you can actually get to a completely stable mind where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. It's just going to take you time to do that and learning to do that. Thank you, David. We have no more questions. Okay. So let's go into more of what I was planning to talk about today along the lines of loving kindness meditation, because loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness is the antidote to this poison of hatred, anger, and ill will. And in order for us to improve the condition of the mind, eliminating hatred, anger, ill will, and all the lesser versions of it, we need to first understand what is loving kindness. And I kind of referenced it a few times already, but I wanted to make sure we definitely covered this. What you'll hear some people refer to loving kindness as is you'll hear the word metta. Metta is the Pali version of this word. So you might hear people call it metta or metta meditation, right? Or even metta bhavana, which is cultivation of loving kindness. That's what metta bhavana means. What metta or loving kindness is, is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, that you wish people to be well, that you're interested in seeing others be well. This is essentially the opposite of ill will, is goodwill, 
right? And you need to cultivate this in the mind that you have this active goodwill for all beings. Because by doing so, you will eliminate any resentment or hostility. And if you're holding on to painful situations that happened in your past, that's affecting you in your relationships right now. Even if you've decided to no longer be around those people and you've pushed them out of your life, you're still holding on to that resentment, that ill will, and it's causing the mind to be fearful in certain situations or feel shameful or feel shy. And you're not able to really open up and kind of blossom around other people because you're holding on to this resentment or this trauma, this painful feelings from the past. So through cultivating this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, it doesn't mean you agree with the decisions and the harmful things that people did in the past, but at least you let go of that resentment and anger that's in your mind because it's only hurting you. And if you were so-called victimized by people in the past, by maintaining this ill will and resentment in the mind, it's allowing them to continue to victimize you. So now, if you've distanced yourself from those people, now it's just a matter of eliminating it from your mind so that it no longer affects you in your current relationships or any future relationships that you experience. The other thing that loving kindness is going to do by cultivating this in meditation is it's going to eliminate this negative self-talk and this degrading and judgment that you might have for your own self because that can be very destructive to the mind if you're looking at yourself in a negative way. So when we cultivate this active goodwill for other beings, what you're going to see is all beings is not just others, it's you too, because you're a being. You need to cultivate this for yourself as well without judgment, right? So loving kindness is this active goodwill where you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. You don't necessarily agree with their intentions, their speech, and their actions, and you don't have to, right? You don't necessarily agree with all their decisions, but at least you have this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. This loving kindness is the antidote or the wholesome root or the remedy for hatred, anger, and ill will. Because we call these the three poisons. So in that case, this is an antidote. We also call these the three unwholesome roots. So this is a wholesome root. This is the solution. This is the remedy to eliminate this hatred, anger, ill will, and all the lesser versions, resentment, hostility, annoyance, irritation, frustration, all of those other lesser versions. And we're going to study this more deeply when we get into chapter 13, which is all about the Brahma Viharas. So there's more to come. There's actually four Brahma Viharas. These are four mental states that need to be cultivated in the mind in order to attain enlightenment. Loving kindness is the primary one. But there's three others as well that need to be equally cultivated in the mind. So we'll get to this later, but it's part of the Brahma Viharas. Here are some teachings from Gautama Buddha directly about loving kindness. What you're going to see here is these are translations of his words. And 
His words are very straightforward. He's teaching about the natural laws and he didn't make his teachings complicated because he doesn't have ego. He doesn't have arrogance. He's a fully perfectly enlightened Buddha. His goal is to share these teachings with all of humanity and try to help as many people that are interested to learn how to attain this enlightened mental state. So when he spoke, it was very simple, very straightforward. What's happened is people over the years have complicated his teachings and made them more complex because sometimes the ego feels more smart, more intelligent, more intellectual when we can make something very complex and difficult to understand. But one of the things Gautama Buddha did is he just made everything very simple and very straightforward. And you'll see that in these little lines that I kind of took out of some of his teachings. And he talks a lot. He's got 45 volumes of books that were eventually written down. Big, thick books, 45 volumes of them. So these are just a couple of little lines that I extracted. Here he was talking to his son, Rahula. Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned, right? One of the big things that I share in my teaching is to never believe me about anything because belief is not going to lead to your liberation, to your enlightenment. It's only wisdom. And the way that you get to wisdom is you independently verify the teachings. So rather than just assume that loving kindness meditation is important and you should practice it, what I'm doing here is I'm sharing with you the actual teachings of the Buddha so you can see it with your own eyes that the Buddha actually taught that we should practice loving kindness meditation as a way to abandon ill will. For me, the way that I verified these teachings is one, I looked in all the teachings of the Buddha that I have access to and discovered what did he actually teach. Then I practiced it for myself to experience if it created any results in the mind. Third, I slowly started teaching more and more students and the students report that yes, it's improving the condition of their mind as well. And then the fourth thing is being here in Thailand, which is essentially Buddhist land, the 95% of the country is Buddhist, Thais will oftentimes know that I'm teaching and they'll say, hey, what do you teach? How do you teach this? How do you teach that? What kind of meditation do you teach? And when I share with them what I teach, they're like, oh, that's what our teachers teach us too. So they go to these well-renowned monk or teacher that is really well-known in the community for have attaining enlightenment. And when they learn, they might stay there for a week or two or three or stay in contact with the teacher. And when they're comparing what they're learning with their monks and their Buddhist teachers in Thai, and they happen to know English and talk with me, they're like, yeah, you're teaching the same thing that our teachers teach. So I've confirmed everything that I do in these four ways. One, the Buddha taught it. Two, I did it myself and practiced it myself to see the improvement in the mind. Three, the students are practicing the same teachings and receiving benefit and experiencing results in their practice as well. And then four, Thai people are confirming with me that's exactly what they're learning as well. So you can take a similar approach. Maybe you don't end up teaching, right? Or maybe you do. But because this is the process that I went through, I'm helping you to do that same thing here by showing you Gautama Buddha's teachings. And I have 
the books available if you were ever to be interested to learn directly the words from the Buddha. I have a lot of his books around that I can send to you or I can send you links to the audiobooks and things like that. So here we don't want to even believe that David thinks that loving kindness meditation is a good thing to do. Let's not even believe David. Let's go back to the source teachings of the Buddha. And that's what we're doing here in the class. So the Buddha is sharing here that developing meditation on loving kindness, for when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. Okay, that's what he says. But let's not even believe the Buddha, right? We're going to actually do loving kindness meditation and do it for many, many days and weeks so that you can see whether it actually works. Because Gautama Buddha didn't even want people to believe him either. He was interested in people practicing the teachings. So this is what he says, but we don't believe him. Don't ever believe him. Don't ever believe me. Practice it and see if it actually works. Here's another phrase from him as well. Loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. Okay, very simple. And I've extracted this out of really long passages of him teaching. Let's go into some other parts where he was also discussing loving kindness meditation. In this particular passage, it's, it's a little bit longer because he's actually talking about people who are making offerings because he lived as an aesthetic or kind of a homeless roaming seeker who was seeking enlightenment. And once he attained it, he maintained that lifestyle where people offered him food and resources and things to sustain his life so that he could spend his time teaching and helping people to learn the teachings. So he was talking to his students. Bhikkhus are the male ordained practitioners. He says, Bhikkhus, if someone were to give away a hundred pots of food as charity in the morning, a hundred pots of food as charity at noon, and a hundred pots of food as charity in the evening, and if someone else were to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time that it takes to pull a cow's udder, either in the morning, at noon, or in the evening, this would be more fruitful than the former. Therefore, bhikkhus, therefore students, you should train yourselves thus. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by loving kindness. Make it our vehicle. Make it our basis. Stabilize it. Exercise ourselves in it and fully perfect it. Thus, should you train yourselves? Okay. What he's doing here is he's saying someone could give essentially 300 pots of food throughout the day, morning, midday, and evening. And that wouldn't be as wonderful for him having all that food, all that charity as somebody who chooses to just develop loving kindness for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder. Now, remember, he's talking to a lot of farmers and people 2,500 years ago, and he's using language that they can relate to and that they understand. If you've never pulled a cow's udder, it takes all of a split second to do so. Okay, I did this when I was growing up 
on farms, we used to sometimes milk cows. So it takes all of a split second to pull a cow's udder and get a little milk out of it. So he's saying in that split second, if you do that either morning or at noon or in the evening, just for a split second, that cultivation of loving kindness is more fruitful than all the work and effort that it would take to offer these 300 pots of food. And then he tells the monks, he says, we will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind, liberating the mind from this hatred, anger, and ill will by loving kindness. Loving kindness will liberate the mind from this hatred, anger, and ill will. Make it our vehicle. This is what we travel in. We will travel in this loving kindness everywhere we go. We will use loving kindness and make it our vehicle. Make it our basis. Stabilize the mind in it. Exercise ourselves in it. Always practicing loving kindness. It will get easier and easier the more you practice it. You may stumble. You may find it difficult, especially in situations where people are disagreeing and you disagree with their intention, speech, or actions, or you disagree with some decisions they make. It's going to feel odd for you because the unenlightened mind is used to being angered and having hatred and ill will and pushing people away. It's going to feel strange, but exercise yourself in loving kindness and it will become easier. That's what he's saying here. Exercise ourselves in it and fully perfect it, right? You want to perfect this active goodwill towards all beings and practicing it always. Thus, you should train yourselves. So we're going to train ourselves in meditation, but then we need to bring that active goodwill towards all beings into our daily life where now we practice it with other people. We can't just practice loving kindness and meditation and everything gets better, right? We have to bring that cultivated mind of loving kindness into daily life through perfecting it, through exercising ourselves in it, right? That's where you're also training. The loving kindness meditation is like being in a laboratory, being in a Petri dish, almost like filling up your gas tank. And then when you go out into the world, you're practicing loving kindness. And initially, when you first get started, your gas tank's going to start depleting. And then you have to do loving kindness meditation some more and fill it back up and fill it back up and fill it back up because you keep practicing it. But eventually, when you do this so well and you train yourselves in this, then all that hatred, anger, ill will, hostility, irritation, annoyance is gone from the mind. The loving kindness will just always be there and it will always permeate the mind. You will never be at a shortage for loving kindness, but it's going to take time for you to exercise yourself in it and fully perfect it. But thus should you train yourselves. Okay. If you do that, you will see that it will get easier and easier as you go. This is how we're going to actually do loving kindness meditation. The way that we do loving kindness meditation is we start off just like we do all of our other meditation sessions. You're going to need to take a position of either seated, lying, or standing. We typically don't do loving kindness meditation in the walking position. Okay. It's usually either seated, lying, or standing. 
And then you ease the mind into meditation with chanting or some other way that you would like to do that. I always use chanting or most of the time. And then for the first part of your meditation, you will typically do breathing mindfulness meditation, training the mind to only focus on the breath. So as the mind wanders into the past or the future, has various thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, cut those off and bring the mind to the breath. The breath is the present moment. Stabilize the mind in the present moment by cutting off all this chatter and erroneous thoughts as much as you can. And that will get easier and easier over time. So do that for some period of time. You don't have to time yourself. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you feel is best. Do your breathing mindfulness meditation. Then move into loving kindness meditation where you will have these affirmations in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Always start with I yourself. Okay, you have to have loving kindness for yourself before you can develop it and cultivate it for other people. Okay, so always start with yourself. Then you're going to make progressive rings getting wider and wider and wider until you get to all beings. Okay, all beings should be your last one where you encompass everybody. You haven't left anybody out because you need to have loving kindness and compassion, this active goodwill for all beings without judgment for all beings, even people who have harmed you in the past. Right. You have to let all that resentment go, all those painful feelings go here. What I'm sharing is the three rings. May I be peaceful going through those four statements. May we be peaceful going through those four statements. May all beings be peaceful. In reality, I very rarely do it this way, but this is kind of like a beginner way to do it today. I will just say whatever comes to mind, making five, six, seven, eight different rings. I won't actually use just these three. I will use other rings as well. And then I'll finish up with all beings. And then I'll do the chanting to kind of end our meditation. Now, if I was doing this by myself and you were just observing me, you would just see me in meditation. You wouldn't know that I was doing breathing mindfulness meditation and then loving kindness meditation because everything's being done internally, right? Training the mind to come back to the breath or saying these affirmations internally in the mind. But because I'm guiding you, I will say these affirmations out loud. And when I do, that will just remind you to repeat that affirmation in the mind on the out breath. So when you hear me say, May I be peaceful. Whenever you get to your next out breath, say in the mind, may I be peaceful. Out breath. And then I'll get to may I be safe. And wherever you get to your next out breath, just repeat in the mind, may I be safe. You're going to do it quietly. And then when I say may I be well, same thing affirmation in the mind, cultivate, may I be well. And then the fourth statement, may I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. 
essentially, may I be enlightened. That's essentially what you're saying here. And we're going to go through these various rings. And when you hear me say the affirmation, you say it for your, yourself. Now, this affirmation is meant to cultivate this active goodwill in the mind for you. By you cultivating this loving kindness in the mind, it's going to change your mind. And therefore, it's going to change your behavior and your conduct when you're around others. You're going to find yourself speaking and acting and being around people in a different way than you were before. It's going to take time, but over a few weeks, you'll notice that this will gradually start to erode away any kind of hostility that you harbor in the mind. So these affirmations are not asking other people to be peaceful or for them to be a certain way. What we're doing is we're cultivating, filling up that gas tank in our mind so that then when we're around others, we will conduct ourselves in a more peaceful way that we have more active goodwill towards other beings without judgment. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. But I would like to just kind of pause and see if anyone has any questions on what we're going to do before we actually do it. Is that clear, all clear at the moment, David? Okay, so let's go ahead and go into meditation then. So find yourself a position, either sitting in a chair or sitting on the floor, or if you want to do lying or standing, you can do that as well. And make your lower body comfortable. So if you're in a chair, your feet are probably either flat on the floor or cross leg, either way, up to you, lots of different options. If you're sitting on the floor, you probably have some cushions under your rear to get that up in the air, lessen the angle at your hips and your knees to kind of allow the lower body to be stable, but not uncomfortable. You want the lower body to be comfortable, but not luxurious. Your upper body, you should erect your spine so that your spine is nice and straight and you've engaged your muscles in your upper body. This is going to keep the mind active and attentive because we need to actively train the mind here to cultivate this loving kindness. And if we kind of slouch, the mind has a tendency to turn off. So you need to activate the mind, keep it attentive and alert by activating the spine and kind of lifting it up and keeping your muscles erect in your upper body. Your hands and arms, your right hand should go over the left hand with your thumbs together and put that in your lap. If that's comfortable for you, use it. But if not, just place the palms of your hands on your thighs or your knees or on the armrest of a chair, whatever is comfortable for you. There's no right or wrong way other than the physical body should be comfortable but not luxurious. As long as you're in that position, then that's fine. If at any point you feel pain, just move and get to a point where the body's comfortable, okay? Now close your eyes, and with your eyes closed, just focus on breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. A nice, natural breath. Just establish your breath here. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. I'm going to leave you here with your breath. 
I'm going to do some chanting, and then I'm going to come back with some guidance for breathing mindfulness meditation. Just focus the mind on the breath. Arahang Samma Samhoto Mahakawa Potang Mahakawanang Apiwate Ami Savakato Mahakavata Tammo Damang Namasami Sopatipano Mahakavato Savaka Sankho Sankhang Namami Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Samputasa Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Samputasa Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Samputasa Iti piso mahakawa Arahang samasamhoto Vichacharanang samhuno Sakato rokavitu Anu tero purisa Dhamma sati sata tawa manu sanang Hoto pakavati You should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, natural breath. Don't try to force it. Just observe the breath. Breathing in and out. Fixate the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. 
the mind can reside in the present moment, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. As you're breathing, at any point that you notice the mind going to the past or the future, or there's thoughts, ideas, perceptions, cut those off, let them go. Bring the mind to the breath. You haven't done anything wrong no need to feel guilty or shameful. That's just what the unenlightened mind does. It wanders. It doesn't want to just sit still in the present moment. But now you're training the mind to come into the present moment. Focused on the breath. The breath is your anchor. Training the mind to let go. Let go. Let go. So that you can control the mind. As time goes on, many days, weeks, months, the mind will have more and more control. So wherever you notice it wandering, just cut it off, let it go, and bring the mind to the breath. Don't let it hold on to those thoughts. I'm not even interested in you holding on to my voice. This is an independent practice where you need to train the mind based on the body, the mind, and the breath. So I'm going to be quiet for a while and just let you focus on the breath. The breath is the anchor, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to train the mind. Focus on the breath.
Repeat this affirmation in the mind. On your out-breath, repeat, may I be peaceful. safe. free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. peaceful. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May they be safe. 
may they be well. May they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. hatred, anger, or ill will towards me, be peaceful. be safe. free of discontentedness in the suffering it causes. safe.
may they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. hatred, anger, or ill will for. May they all be peaceful. safe. May they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. see and speak with regularly. May they all be peaceful. safe.
May they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. safe. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. beings who I, who I will never see and never speak to in this life, may they all be peaceful. safe. discontentedness 
and the suffering it causes. May all beings, no matter where they reside, on this planet or some other planet, far, far beyond, may all beings be peaceful. Be safe. May they be well. May they be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
would like to make your way out of meditation just kind of open your eyes and you need to stretch your body a little bit you can do that maybe move your neck around move your body around these rings that we create in loving kindness meditation you should create rings that are specific to you in your life I use some of these kind of more general rings but for you it might be other rings that you want to include or not include i suggest that you choose rings that you're having difficulty with that you feel like there is some hatred or anger ill will or hostility or irritation annoyance any kind of feelings like this that you're having either for your parents or your siblings or your co-workers 
your spouse, your life partner, your children, your neighbors, people in the past, people that have harmed you, people that you've harmed, that you feel guilty about, that you've harmed these people, or you feel shameful, any kind of discontentedness that is in the mind that you're having for any groups of people, include those in your meditation. Whether it's three or four rings or six rings or eight rings, however many you choose is up to you. If there's any one or two particular people that you're having a lot of difficulty with, that you have hatred or anger, ill will or hostility towards, you might want to do this meditation where you start out with just you and then go to that person over and over and over and over and over and over again and just keep doing these four statements for that one person over and over and over again and then doing all beings. And you might need to do that for a week or two or three or four until you feel like you've let it go. You may even need to do this meditation just for yourself. If you're having a lot of negative self-talk or self-doubt or low self-esteem, you might want to just do this for you and repeat it. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of discontentedness. And repeat that over and over and over and over and over again. And then go to all beings right? So you can structure this how you would like. And each time it may be a little bit different. It will be different, right? There's nothing that's permanent. So if you need to do yourself for a week or two or three or four, and that's just where you're at in your practice, then do that. And then if you had a really hard childhood and you still have resentment for your parents or anyone in your family, maybe now go to them and work on that for a week or two or three or four or five however long it takes, and then go to the next section, right? And then move out farther and farther. There's some creativity that you can add here, but it's all going to be based on your life and your mind. What is inside your mind that is harboring hatred, anger, and ill will, or any kind of irritation or annoyance, resentment or jealousy, anything like that? You structure this based on what your mind needs and then you stick with that until you feel like it's released. And even if you thought it was released and it goes three or four or five weeks or months or years and it comes back, you can go back to this meditation. But you need to build a regular consistent practice of doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And you may choose to do that any different way you may choose to do breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness in the morning. Maybe in the evening you just do breathing mindfulness meditation. Or maybe you do breathing mindfulness meditation in the morning, middle of the day and evening for a week or two or three. Get your practice really well established and then you bring in loving kindness meditation. You can move these meditations in and out of your practice and see what works best for you. I think you'll find that doing some version of loving kindness meditation, be it including breathing mindfulness meditation in the morning, can be a really great way of setting up your day for encountering lots of different people. And if you've had a particularly rough day and you feel that there's hatred, anger, ill will that's arisen during your day, I think you'll find that loving kindness meditation can be great to kind of wind that down in the evening. Right. So you've got to figure out that and 
Don't be attached to doing it any one particular way. Whatever the mind needs, this is the medicine for the mind. This breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation is the way to train the mind to eliminate that craving or anger or greed and hatred. Get rid of that ill will, that hostility. And it's only going to be through a steady, consistent, dedicated approach of doing this over a long period of time that it will slowly erode this. Some of you know that I had a lot of problems in my childhood, particularly with my family and my mom. It probably took me a good six months to deal with that, just meditating with my mom in mind and to really deal with that and let that go. And what you might notice is as you do this, it might actually arise hatred, right? Because I hadn't seen my mom at that point for about three or four years. And when I started doing meditation to kind of release that resentment that I held, I would come out of meditation sometimes more angry than what I went in. And that's not uncommon. But when that anger arises, you've got to cut it off and let it go and learn to just let it be and let it go. Sometimes you have to pick up the carpet and shake out the dust and let the dust fly around before it will settle and go away. But if you just keep sweeping all the dirt under the carpet and you just keep it in the mind and harbor it in the mind, it's just going to be this big mountain of resentment or anger or hostility. You've got to pull the carpet out, dust it off, fling it around. And sure, it might not feel comfortable all the time when you do this. There may be some challenges that the mind experiences as you're going through this. It's not all love and peace and kindness and friendliness all the time. Sometimes these meditations can bring up some hostility and that's okay, but at least you're aware of it and you know what's in the mind and you're experiencing and you're not just letting it collect under the carpet, but you're actually eliminating it. So sometimes you have to kick it up in order to eliminate it out of the mind, but focus on cultivating this loving kindness and then practice it in daily life. There was nothing in my meditation that was attempting to change my mother or change anyone else in my life that I was having difficulties with. Meditation is all about changing your mind. And by changing your mind, you will then start interacting in the world differently and people will start responding to you differently. So over a long period of time, as I cultivated the mind, as my relationship evolved, my mom and I came to terms and we had a fine relationship. And by the time she died, everything was completely resolved. But it only got that way because I chose to kick up the dust and really get into meditation and really actively uncover some of the things that I was holding on to and letting go. And not just for her, but for other people in my life as well. So you've got some amount of hatred, anger, ill will, hostility, irritation, annoyance in the mind for some people, some groups of people, some types of people, some people from your past, some people that are in your current life. You've got to uncover what they are. Don't hide from it. Don't run from it. Don't sweep it under the carpet, but address it in meditation. It's the only way to get rid of it. And it might feel uncomfortable as you're doing it, but that's okay. It's not permanent. You'll get through it. But if you leave that stuff in the mind, for sure, it's never going to change. 
So you got to kick it out, get rid of that stuff through addressing it with this medication of meditation. So let me just open things up for questions and see if there's any questions on anything we've been discussing today or at any other point during our program. When you're saying these affirmations, David, are you also visualizing someone in the mind or are you just saying the words? You can. You can certainly visualize things. And oftentimes as I was doing this for my mom, I, like things would come to my mind, like things that she did that harmed me. But then also I would feel guilty because I did things that harmed her too, right? It's never just one-sided. It's easy to play the victim role, right? Like everything has been done bad to us. But I did a lot of bad things to my mom too. So those things might surface and it might come into the mind and you just got to let it go. You can visualize these people, these people that you're talking to in conversations. You can even do things like I used to visualize syrup. I kind of envisioned like syrup or honey as being the loving kindness. And when I would say, may I be peaceful, I kind of envisioned like syrup just encapsulating my body and dripping down my whole body of peacefulness and of safety, of being well, of freeing discontentness and this genuine interest in myself being well. And then the same thing as I went through my rings, envisioned this syrup coming over those people. And that helped, I felt, kind of adding that visualization to it. So if you're finding something's working, then use it. But don't struggle or don't have a craving or a desire to find something just to visualize just because the mind craves to visualize something. But if something comes to mind and you're noticing that it's working, go for it. If you're noticing something's not working, then don't do it. But what I think you'll definitely find is that by doing this regularly, making it part of your regular meditation practice, it will work to erode this hatred, anger, and ill will. And it takes time to accumulate the benefits. It's not instantaneous. I asked a similar question on Sunday about craving. I'd like to ask a similar question now about anger, which is, is it that anger seems to just need to find somewhere to go? Sometimes it can certainly feel like that. If we're angry about one thing, we then become angry about another thing. We've forgotten what the first thing even was, and it seems like it's just being transferred. But on the other hand, it can also seem like it's very specific things or people that when we experience them, we become angry. So is it that we have to eliminate both sides of that? We have to eliminate specific things that we cause ourselves to be angry when we experience them? Or is it that we have to reduce our tendency to be angry? Or are we in effect doing both of those? It's both. So there's this poison of hatred, anger, ill will, that's in the mind and you experience the symptoms of that all the time through your intentions, your speech and your actions. You experience the symptoms of you speaking harshly and hostile or having ill intentions or certain actions you do to other people out of anger, hatred, ill will or annoyance or irritation. So there's this genuine aspect of the mind that is hatred, anger, ill will, and it produces certain aspects of your intention, speech, and actions that you're choosing to do, which causes you harm. So there's this genuine aspect of the mind that's there. And then 
that drills down into individual situations where you see somebody with a certain clothing you don't like or a hairstyle you don't like or a name you don't like or a certain skin color you might not like or a certain uh, way of talking, their voice. You may choose to be annoyed because of their voice or certain things that they're doing to you or to other people. That hatred, that aspect of hatred that's there, it comes out in this particular situation. So you've got to acknowledge that that's happening. That's harmful to them and it's harmful to you. And you need to cut that off so it no longer causes you harm in that situation. But by doing so, you're really addressing this overall aspect of the mind that we call hatred, anger, ill will. You're getting rid of that. And then you'll see that the mind will have less of a tendency for these individual situations to occur. Situations where in the past you would respond with anger or hatred or annoyance or irritation, you will notice gradually those same situations won't cause those feelings to arise in the mind through practicing loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life. You will notice that in situations that once you experienced hatred, anger, it will, it won't arise anymore. But there's going to be this transitionary period where before you were totally unaware of this stuff and you were just struggling through life. Now you're becoming aware of it and you're actively doing something about it, but you're not going to be able to snap your fingers and change it instantly. So, but at least now you're aware of it and you're actively doing something to combat it and address it. And now the mind's going to slowly transition over to the point where it will completely be eradicated hundred percent and you'll be able to be loving and kind and have this active goodwill without judgment in all situations. But you're kind of plucking each one of these at a time and kind of knocking it down more and more. What you'll notice is typically situations where you have no attachments, where there are no cravings, where there is no deep relationship, where there is craving, desire, attachment, you'll notice that it's probably easier to have loving kindness active goodwill without judgment in those situations because there is no craving or yearning or longing or desire, this strong eagerness. But in situations where it's either your parents or your life partner or your children or close friends or close coworkers, it may be harder for you in these relationships to cultivate this active goodwill, depending on what your previous experiences have been in those relationships. So as you knock down this craving, desire, attachment, it will actually make it easier for the loving kindness to come through in your relationships. But you're really working on these two independently as overall aspects that are in the mind and the individual situations. You need to identify it and eliminate those as well. That's great. Okay, thank you very much, David. We have no more questions. Sure. One thing I'll add to that too, Max, is if you become very aware of relationships that you have hatred, anger, ill will in, and you're doing meditation on those regularly, let's just say it's a coworker and you, and you know that that's what you're working on. Well, one of the things you can do to kind of get ahead of the curve is if you're going into a meeting where you know this coworker is, or you 
need to go talk to this coworker about a particular task or a project, you can kind of prepare the mind ahead of time and kind of know that, you know, you're vitally aware that, yeah, you have hatred and anger towards this person and maybe they have it for you too, but that's their practice. But if you're going to approach either in a meeting or an individual one-on-one conversation or an email or whatever it is, just really work at making sure you're practicing active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, this loving kindness. So rather than kind of what we might have done before learning these teachings, which is just haphazardly walk through life, think that everyone's causing our discontentedness, they're the ones who are making me angry, they're wrong, I'm right, they just gotta do things the right way and I'll stop being angry but you won't because you're going to be angry at somebody else. But in the unenlightened state, that's kind of the way we think that we're kind of justified in our anger. But now that you're aware that you've harboring this anger, hatred and ill will, and you will become vitally aware of the people and relationships that you're having this for, you can kind of preempt this a bit and make sure that when you're speaking, that it's the right time to speak and that your mind is ready and able to have this conversation either in a meeting or one-on-one that what you say is true that you speak gently that you speak beneficially and with a mind of loving kindness without blame so by involving this loving kindness meditation in your practice and by being vitally aware of where your anger resides and you're looking at your own anger because you have right view and you know it's not them, it's you, you can actually preempt a lot of this stuff and kind of cautiously walk into conversations with people that you know you're harboring anger for and just really work really hard at dissipating that. And even if a little bit comes out, because it will, because you're not perfect and you haven't attained enlightenment yet, Maybe if before you were all out 100% angry and then in your next conversation you're only 80% angry, all right, good, you're improving. And then if you go to 60 and 40 and 20, okay, that's good. 10, 5, 3, 2, and even you just got 1% of a little bit of a, "Ah, I just kind of don't like talking to this person. It just doesn't feel right. Still work on that 1% and get rid of it and eliminate it because it's not serving any good wholesome purpose. So by involving your mind and really actively working to eliminate this poison of hatred, anger, ill will, you can now work with that skillfully to ensure that when you're approaching in these conversations that you're really prepared and it's the right time for you to be talking and communicating with people. So I think this can really be a revolutionizing thing that rather than just haphazardly walking through life and struggling, that you can just actively engage when it's the right time and with the right mindset. And this can really change things for you rather than allowing your hostility and anger not only towards that one person, but for example, if you're in a meeting with others, they see you being angry and hostile with that person too. Even though in the unenlightened state, we think we're so slick that we're covering it up. But other people can see that too. And then they start relating to you in that way too. Because if you're putting out this hatred, anger, ill will towards one particular person, 
other people are going to treat you that way too because they see you treating that person that way. But if you're always loving and kind and polite and friendly and respectful to other people, they may even still choose to be hostile to you sometimes, but that's okay, that's their practice. You will learn to train the mind to be unaffected by that and other people will see that. If you're being just loving, kind, respectful, polite, friendly, okay, other people choose to be hostile and aggressive, then that's on them, right? You guys probably know I go into all these various Facebook groups and talk and chat and share different things. It's not uncommon for somebody to attack me in those groups. They're not attacking me. It's just their anger and hostility coming out because they disagree with something I say. I just be loving, kind, friendly. Other people can see that. And other people can see that aggression and anger. So if you just maintain your practice, it doesn't mean that people are going to instantly start treating you well. But what you'll notice is the vast majority of people around you will know your character. They will know your personality. They will know that you're always very friendly, loving, polite, respectful. And that's what will return to you more and more. Even though there's this occasional person that might choose to be hostile or aggressive that's on them but if you're waiting for other people to change before you change then you're still walking around with hatred anger and ill will but if you do all the work and you do the change and then you'll notice more and more people will collect around you that has similar wholesome qualities of mind then people are going to be attracted to you because of this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment that you have. And if there's occasional people that show up in your life that still have hatred, anger, and ill will, then that's on them. And you can choose to not be involved with those people, but still maintain this active goodwill towards all beings for that person, even though they're choosing to be hostile and aggressive. But if you're waiting for other people to change before you change, then everything's in a big log jam and nothing shifts so you make the shift you improve the quality of your mind you train your mind improve the condition of your mind and then whatever others do is completely up to them you're not trying to change anyone else through your practice you're trying to change your mind that's what's really important here is to change your mind through all of these teachings and then over time If other people choose to change, that's up to them, okay? So keep continuing to be loving, kind, friendly, polite, respectful, caring to everybody and anybody that you interact with. And even if you feel it's a real struggle and it's real difficult sometimes in there because you've got, you know, this built up hostility towards a particular person, Just try it. Just break through that wall, right? Just break through the wall. It's going to possibly hurt, but it's not going to kill you. It might hurt. It might feel miserable. It might feel like, why am I being so friendly to this guy? He just did this to me three days ago. But that's in the past, right? Just let it be in the past. You'll never get over it if you don't get over it. So just work through that. Break through that wall 
and focus on being polite, friendly, kind, caring, loving, respectful, and you will see that it will get easier and easier as you soak yourself into this loving kindness and just exercise yourself in it the way the Buddha described. Exercise yourself in it, right? Use it as a basis to eliminate and liberate the mind from this hatred, anger, and ill will. It's causing you all kinds of problems, so get rid of it, okay? On Sunday, we're going to be talking about chapter 9, what is kama and how does it affect you? Because this hatred, anger, ill will, as you're putting it out through your intention, speech, and actions, it's causing harm to others. So therefore, it's causing harm to you. So you need to understand the natural law of gamma really clearly, not just as it relates to hatred, anger, and ill will, but all other things as well. So we're going to explore chapter 9 on Sunday, and then next Wednesday, we're going to do chanting, keep our normal rotation of breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and chanting. We rotate those every three weeks. So in the meantime, keep learning, keep studying, read the book, listen to the audiobook, watch the videos, podcasts, quizzes, all the different ways that you can learn. Feel free to reach out to me through posting something in Facebook or private messaging or scheduling a personal session to talk by audio or video, and I will help you. And gradually and slowly, you can transform these three poisons into the wholesome roots. Applying these antidotes, you can now have generosity, you can have loving kindness, and you can have wisdom. Because this craving, anger, and ignorance isn't doing anything for you. So we got to get rid of all of that and bring in the generosity, the loving kindness, and the wisdom. So until next time, have a wonderful day, and we'll see you on Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.